Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Yep. I'll get back to doing this reading of uh, solving mis- the mystery of Babylon the Great, tracking the beast from the synagogue to the Vatican by Edward Henry. I found it fascinating how everyone wants to take a side. It's either the, it's just the Jesuits in Rome or it's just the Jews. Somehow they can't accept the fact that it's both, as the Bible says. The other woman, the Horn of Daniel which is symbolic of the Pope of Rome, changed the times and the laws of God. The beast of Daniel has the same ten horns as the beast of Revelation. We see that the sea beast, again, in Revelation 17.3, and this time there is someone riding the beast. It is the same beast with seven heads and ten horns as the dragon who was in heaven ready to devour the newborn child in Revelation 12.3. And the beast that rose from the sea in Revelation 13.1, and the beast could not destroy Christ or his church, so he tried to, destroy, to create his own devilish Christ, the Antichrist, in his own counterfeit church. The church of Jesus is a chaste bride, 2 Corinthians 11.2, the devil's church is an imperious harlot who rides the, is riding the beast. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon, the scar, uh, upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And then as the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having the golden cup in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, the abomination and abominations of the earth. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration, Revelation 17, 3 through 6. Recall that the dragon made war against the seed of Christ. The children of the first woman, the devil, decided to establish a church and use the church to war against the children of God. This is a spiritual war. Quote, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born of the spirit after the spirit, even so, it is now, Galatians 4.29. The children of the flesh in the devil's church are cannon fodder for in spiritual war against the children of the spirit in the true church of Christ. The Roman church considers Mary the mother of the church. Is the Catholic Mary the Mary of the, in the Bible? There is a mother mentioned in Revelation 
She is a harlot with a name upon her forehead, Mystery Babylon the Great, the woman of the the mother of harlots and the abomination and the abominations of the earth, Revelation seventeen five. Can we know who this mystery harlot is? God reveals her identity by explaining that the beast that she rides has seven heads and the seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman resideth, Revelation 17.9, authorized version. Another clue is that the woman is a city, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, Revelation 17.18, authorized version. Where are the mysterious seven mountains? Rome has traditionally been known as the city on seven hills, are also seven mountains. The mountains are simply a large mass of earth that rises above the common or adjacent land. It does not have to be of any definite altitude. Mountain accurately describes the large hill, a large hill. There is only one city that can meet the description of a city on seven mountains, Rome. Rome is famous for the seven mountains upon which it sits. The mountains are the capital line, the Corel, Corel, the Viminal, the Equiline, the uh, Caelian, and the Avenue, and the uh, Palatine. Alexander Hislop points out in his book Two Babylons that even pagan poets and orators who would have no thought of elucidating biblical prophecies describe Rome as the city on seven hills. Hislop's quotes Virgil, who describes Rome thusly, quote, Rome has both become the most beautiful city in the world and alone has surrounded for herself seven heights with a wall. Virgil, who died approximately 19 years before Christ was born, and therefore several generations before the book of Revelation was written. Hislop also quotes poet Sectus Aurelius uh, Propertius. Propertius. Before the book of Revelation was written, Hislop also quotes. Oh no, excuse me. I just okay. Hislop also quotes Sextus Alurius Propertius, who describes Rome as a lofty city on seven hills, which governs the entire world. Notice how his, his description follows closely that which is contained in Revelation, and a woman. Which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. <clears throat> I'm getting tired. I just ate something. So, anyways, here we go. And another one which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, Revelation fifteen eighteen. Propertius died in fifteen BC. 
So he would have had, had no knowledge of the book of Revelation, which was written scores of years after his death. Marcus Valerius Martialius Martialis, I guess that's what it is, describes seven dominating mountains of Rome. Symmachus, the, the perfect of Rome, introduced one friend of his to another by letter. In the letter, he describes one friend as being D. Septim Montibus Verum, which translated means a man from the seven mountains. That was equivalent in that day, circa 351 through 375 AD to calling someone a which translated means a Roman citizen. Now that we have identified Rome as the location of the seven mountains, who is Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, mother of harlots and abominations of the earth? The Catholic Encyclopedia offers us a clue. It states that it is within Rome, called the City of Seven Hills, that the entire Vatican State is now confined. The Vatican, being in Rome, is the great mother of Ireland. This book is present, will present irrefutable evidence of that truth. This book will also explain the link between Roman Catholic church and babylon first we must find out how the mother of the harlots got the title babylon the great our first clue is found in the bible we read in jeremiah that babylon hath been babylon hath been a golden cup in the lord's hand and made all the earth drunken and and the nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Jeremiah 51.7 <clears throat> Notice that the language is very similar to what God states in the Revelation regarding Babylon the Great. She is described in Revelation as that great whore with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication, Revelation 17.2. God further describes her in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation. Yeah. Uh, For all the nation have drunk of the wine of her wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies, Revelation 18.3. Notice the commonality and the characteristics between the Babylon mentioned in Jeremiah, which was written sometimes, sometime in the 6th century B.C., and the Babylon in the book of Revelation, which was written sometime in the 1st century A.D. We have a span of approximately 700 years separating the descriptions, and yet <clears throat> we have common elements. In Jeremiah, Babylon made all the earth drunk with her wine, and in Revelation the kings and inhabitants of the earth have been made, made drunk with the wine of her fornication. 
It seems that this wine of Babylon is an intoxicating mixture that is born of fornication. Do we find any other clues from the Bible as to what this fornication could be? The Bible gives us a clue. The Holy Bible depicts depicts the church of Jesus as a chaste bride. Paul states of the Corinthian church, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealous, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2 Obviously, chastity has nothing to do with the flesh. Paul is referring to spiritual purity. The bride of Christ is described in Revelation as New Jerusalem, which is not the United States and is not some kind of location somewhere. Prepared as a bride for her husband. And I, John, saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a new bride adorned for her husband. Revelation 21.2 Here we have the church symbolized as a chaste city adorned for her husband, who is Christ. Who is she adorned? In Revelation 19.7-8, we read that she is adorned in fine linen. How different is that from the bejeweled city of Babylon, who was arrayed with purple and scarlet color and decked with, uh, with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication in Revelation 17.4. The New Jerusalem is arrayed simply in fine linen. What does fine linen signify? It is the righteousness of saints. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. His wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen and clean and white. Clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And where do we get righteousness? Is it for our works or is it through Christ? Christ is our righteousness. The fine linen being the righteousness of the saints suggests that the purple and scarlet color clothing and the gold and precious stones and pearls of the great whore of Babylon are symbolic of the wickedness of that religion. There is an unmistakable identity of the Catholic Church hierarchy by the purple and scarlet ceremonial vestments worn by the cardinals and the purple... Uh, ceremonial vestments worn by the bishops of Rome. This color scheme used by the Church of Rome points directly to the Roman Catholic Church being not a chaste bride, but rather the imperious whore of Babylon. God commands that his chosen people come out of the Church of the Great Whore and see Revelation 18.4. We have two different women depicted in Revelation Notice in Revelation, the chaste bride is New Jerusalem. That suggests that there is an old Jerusalem. There is there a link between the old Jerusalem and the great whore of Babylon. When Israel was unfaithful to God, he compared Israel to, to a harlot. And following passages depicts 
the unfaithfulness of Israel, which parallels the, the sins of idolatry, and the Catholic Church provides a clue as to the common link between the religion of Israel and the religion of Rome. <clears throat> the commonality between the horror of Babylon in Revelation and the horror of Jerusalem depicted in Ezekiel is clear. Thou didst trust in thine own beauty, and playedest the harlot, because thy renown and proudest out the fornications on every one that passeth by. He is is it was, and thy garments thou didst take, and deckest thy high places with diverse colors, and playedest the harlot thereupon. The like things shall not come, neither shall it be so. Thou hast also taken thy fine jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given thee, and madest to thyself images of men, and didst commit whoredom with them, and tookest thy broiled uh, embroidered garments, and coveredest them, and thou hast set mine oil and mine incense before them. My meat also, which I give thee, fine flour and oil, and honey, wherewith I fed them thee, thou hast even set it before them for a sweet savor, and this it was, saith the Lord God. Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters, whom thou hast borne unto me, and these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. It is this thy whoredoms, are thy whoredoms a small matter, that thou hast slain my children and delivered them to cause them to pass through the fires for them? And in all thine abominations and thy whoredoms, thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth, when thou wast naked and bare, and wast polluted in thy blood. It came to pass, after all thy wickedness, woe, woe unto thee, saith the Lord God, that thou hast also built unto thee an eminent place, and hast made thee an high place in every street, and thou hast built thy high place at every head of the way, and hast made thy beauty to be abhorred. A, a, a and hast opened thy feet to every one that passes by, and multiplied thy whoredoms. Thou hast also committed fornication with the Egyptians, thy neighbors, great of flesh, and hast increased thy whoredoms to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I have stretched out my hand over thee, and have diminished thine ordinary food, and deliver thee unto the will of them that hate thee, and the daughters of the Philistines, which which are ashamed of thy lewd way. Thou hast played the whore also with the Assyrians, because thou wastest unst- uh, unsatiable, satiable, 
<sighs> what the heck? That was unsettable. Unsatiable, yea, thou hast played the harlot with them, and ye couldst not be satisfied. Thou hast moreover multiplied thy fornication in the land of Canaan unto Chaldea, yet thou wast not satisfied herewith. How weak is thy heart, saith the Lord God, seeing thou doest all these things the work of an imperious, whorish woman, in that thou buildest thine eminent places in the head of every way, and makest thine high place in every street, and hast not been as a harlot, and that thou scornest higher, scornest higher, but as a wife that committeth adultery, which taketh strangers instead of her husband. They give gifts to all whores, but thou givest thy gifts to all thy lovers, and hirest them, that they may come unto thee on every side for thy whoredom. And on the contrary is thee for other women in thy whoredoms, whereas now followeth thee to commit whoredoms, and in thou givest a reward, and no reward is given unto thee. Therefore thou art contrary. Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because thy filthiness was poured out, and thy nakedness discovered through thy whoredoms with thy lovers, and with all the idols of thy abominations, and by the blood of thy children, which thou didst give unto them, behold, therefore I will gather all thy lovers, and with whom thou hast taken pleasure, and all them that thou hast loved, will with all them that hast, thou hast hated, I will even gather them around about against thee, and will discover thy nakedness unto them, that they may see all thy nakedness, Ezekiel. 16 verses 15 through 37. The great, the great whore in Ezekiel is the same great whore in Revelation. God in Ezekiel has given us a clear clue as to the nature of the whore of Babylon. First, the reader must understand Ezekiel is writing during his captivity in Babylon. Zebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, conquered the city of Jerusalem and brought the Jews and the treasures of the city back to Babylon. Two kings, or second kings, uh, 24, 10 through 16. Ezekiel was one of the captives and describes the corruption by the Jewish leader, religious leaders who were adopting the heathen practices of the Babylonian religion. Ezekiel describes the origin of their harlot, uh, quote, old, and to quote, Jerusalem, of Judaism, that old Jerusalem is distinct from the chaste and holy new Jerusalem, which is made up of those who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See Revelations 21 too. Notice that Egypt and the Chaldea, Babylon, 
are two of the nations which this which with which Jerusalem had committed whoredoms, which are the very sources of the heathen practices in the Talmud and the Kabbalah. Ezekiel explains that the whoredom of Jerusalem was follow was following after the heathen religions by making images of men and worshiping those images. That is the same thing being done today in the Catholic Church. The Jews were also sacrificing their children to their heathen idols. The great horror in Revelation is similarly drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus in Revelation 15.6. There is an unmistakable common link between the spiritual order of the Church of Rome and the Jews of Jerusalem. Jeremiah prophesied for the people to, quote, flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul, be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Jeremiah 51.6 John offered an identical prophecy to those in Babylon the Great. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her of her plagues. Revelation 18.4 The parallelism parallelism is unmistakable. (laughs) Two Babylonians suffer the same judgment of God. Passing the cup from Jerusalem to Rome. From the beginning, the Christian church was in a spiritual struggle against Judaism. Judaism could not win in a head-to-head spiritual contest against Christianity. It was necessary for the Jews to throw their efforts behind undermining the Christian church by interjecting it with Judaic contagion. Their long-term strategy was to change the Christian church from the inside from the inside out to align more closely with the Judaic slash Babylonian theosophy. Philip uh, Schaff, uh, 1819 through 1893, in his history of the Christian Church, explains the strategy of the spiritual uh, sappers. I don't know what that means. Having described in previous chapters the moral and intellectual victory of the church over, over avowed and con, consistent, Jude, uh, consistent Judaism and heathenism, we must now look at her deep and mighty struggle with those enemies in a hidden and more dangerous form, with Judaism and heathenism concealed in the garb of Christianity and threatening to Judaize and paganize the church. Judaism, with its religion and its sacred writings, and Greco-Roman heathenism, with its secular culture, its science and its art, were designed to pass into Christianity to be transformed and sanctified. But even... 
in the uh, apostolic age, many Jews and Gentiles were baptized only with water and not with the Holy Spirit and the fire of the gospel and smuggled their old religious notions and practices into the church. The same heresies met us at the beginning of the second century and thenceforth. In more mature form and greater extent, in almost all parts of Christendom, they events on one hand and universal import of the Christian religion and the history and its irresistible power over all the more profound and earnest minds of the age. Christianity threw all their religious ideas into confusion and agitation. They were so struck with the truth, beauty, and vigor of the new religion that they could no longer rest either in Judaism or in heathenism. And yet many were unable and unwilling to forsake inwardly their old religion and philosophy. Hence strange medleys of Christian and unchristian elements and chaotic ferment. The old religions did not die without the last desperate effort to save themselves by appropriating Christian ideas. That is, on the other hand, exposed the specific truth of Christianity to the greatest danger and obliged the church to defend herself against misrepresentation, to secure herself against relapses to the Jewish or the heathen level. Uh, Schaff perceives a two-pronged attack from what he called Greco-Roman heathenism in Judaism. In fact, those two prongs were two branches from the same Babylonian root. The Greco-Roman religion was exoteric in its polytheism. 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 I know I can't say it right now. And Judaism, on the other hand, was an esoteric polytheism. Polytheism. Judaism concealed its polytheism behind the guise of worshiping Jehovah. It was, therefore, easier for the Judaizers to establish their own version of the Ursets Christian Church. Heathen poison was designed behind beneath the Jewish customs and therefore it was found more palatable to those within the unction of the Holy Spirit. Those who had the unction of the Holy Spirit gagged on the poisonous Babylonian Judaic customs and spewed it from the true Church of Christ. Those same Babylonian slash Judaic customs found a home in the Catholic Church. Ezekiel was taken by the Lord and shown how the Jews had turned from him and worshipped idols and heathen gods. See Ezekiel 8, 1-17. The Jews thought that the heathen worship was hidden from God. Quote, then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? 
every man in the chambers of his uh, of his imagery, for they say the Lord seeth not us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. Ezekiel eight twelve. It was not common. It was not the common Jews who were engaging in secret worship of heathen gods. It was the seventy of the ancients of the house of Israel, Ezekiel eight eleven, who were the seventy ancients. They were the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin. They were seventy members of the Sanhedrin who select who select the high priest who is considered the 71st member. Common Jews were kept in the dark about the secret heathen worship. They were exposed to oral traditions of the Jews, which they ignorantly followed, not realizing that they nullified God's laws. Jesus revealed this in Mark, and he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandments of God that ye may keep your own traditions, and to quote Mark 7, 9. Oral Jewish traditions had esoteric meanings that were hidden from the uninitiated common Jews. That is the way it is today, both among Jews and Catholics. The heathenism of the Jews was even so subtle was ever so subtle, excuse me. Jesus warned about that subtle subtlety. He likened the false Judaic mixing of the heathen worship with God's laws to leaven. A little leaven works its way through the whole loaf. The Jews created a mixture that on the surface appeared godly, but it was in fact a holy leaven loaf of heathenism. Uh, quote, then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understand they how they how that he bade them not beware of leavened bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew sixteen twelve. Paul also warned about the Judaizers that were trying to enter, inject to inject their Judaic doctrine into the church. He warned, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Galatians 5.9 The subtlety of the Judaizers even deceived, deceived Peter. In Galatians 2.11-13, we read how Paul had to upbraid Peter for being deceived to follow after the subtle Similarities, dissimilarity, alert. I can't read words. My gosh, I apologize. Dissimilarity, dissimilarity. Sorry, the subtle dissimilarity customs of the Jews. Peter caused Barnabas to fall into the same Judaizing error. The same Barnabas, however, was quick to recognize the clear heathenism when the the Lysonians 
sought to worship, I can't ever read, Elisonius sought to worship Paul and him as gods in Acts 14, Acts 14, 11 through 15. Both Barnabas and Paul rent their clothes and ran among the people, telling them to stop their heathen worship. The exoteric heathen worship of the Lyceans, Lyceans, I don't know, was why can't I say it? Lysonians was obvious to Barnabas, but the esoteric heathenism of the Jews was so subtle that Barnabas was taken in by it. See Galatians 2.13. Judaizing strategy resulted ultimately in the establishment of the Catholic Church. There is historical evidence for the common Babylonian lineage between Judaism and Roman Catholicism. After the fall of Jerusalem, the Kabbalistic Jews migrated to Alexandria, where they uh, synthesized their Chaldean witchcraft with Neoplatonic philosophy and cloaked that religion in Christian terminology. They then tried to introduce this new heathen Gnostic philosophy into a fledgling Christian church. The uh, penetration of the true spiritual church of Christ was futile. What this Jewish Gnosticism did accomplish was the creation of a new Erzatz Christian church, which grew into what we now know, what we know today as the Roman Catholic Church. Those facts have been concealed from the historical accounts of the Catholic Church. Maurice Pinay, in his book, The Plot Against the Church, explains the spiritual fight waged by Arrhenius of Lyons in circa 130-202 against the Gnostic heresy that was being injected into the Church. Maurice Benet is alleged to be a pseudonym for a group of Catholic priests. According to Benet, one of the lead purveyors of the Gnostic heresy was Valentinus. Valentinus was a crypto-Jew who tried to keep his Jewish roots secret when he migrated from Alexandria to Rome. He migrated with the intention of portraying himself as a Christian in order to undermine the Christian church in Rome, which, with his Gnostic doctrines, Valentinus gained great influence in Rome and was even a, a candidate for Bishop of Rome in 143 AD. Irenaeus described, discovered the Jewish roots of Valentinus and found out what Valentinus was up to, Irenaeus Irenaeus exposed Valentinus' anti-Christian heresy. Valentinus was a disciple uh, 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 of Thudas, who in turn claimed to have been a disciple of Apostle Paul, Thudas, 
taught a secret knowledge, Gnosticism, that he falsely claimed was taught to him by Paul. The only reference Athotus in the Bible is a reference to him from the Pharisee Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Gamaliel stated, For before these days rose up Thotus, Thutus, or Thotus, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. Acts 5.36 It is not clear if Thotus mentioned in Acts the same Thotus who Valentinus followed. That is because it would seem that Thotus mentioned by uh, Gamaliel Gamaliel would have died before Paul's Christian conversion, and so Thotus could not have been believably claimed to have been Paul's disciple. The claimed discipleship of Thotus, however, could have been and fiction later engrafted upon the legend of Thotus by his scattered disciples. In any event, if Thotus mentioned by Gamaliel, Gamaliel uh, is the same Thotus followed by Valentinus, Valentinus, it would have been impossible for Valentinus to have ever met directly with him. That is because Valentinus was not born until approximately 100 A.D., in Egypt, which would have been long after Thotus died. According to Gamaliel, <clears throat> Thotus was slain and his followers were scattered. From Gamaliel's advantage, it appeared that the movement of Thotus was brought to naught. However, it seems that Thotus' Gnostic philosophy lived on through the Valentinus and his disciples. I apologize to anybody who will listen to this of my miserable pronunciation of these names. Paul warned about the Jewish heresy. He described their actions, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ, Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. Galatians 2, 4. Notice that the false brethren came and secretly pretending to be Christians as a way of bring, to bring them into bondage. Bondage to what? The passage makes it clear that they were spying out the liberty in Christ, and so the bondage would be to inject into the church a false gospel that strikes at the heart of that, that liberty, that false gospel is salvation by works, which is the heart of the Jewish Gnosticism. Paul made that clear in his ep- epistle to the Romans, which was a church that was being particularly targeted for corruption. Paul explained how the Jews were trying to rebel against God's plan of grace as a means of salvation instead of in 
instead institute a salvation by obedience to law to the law for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God Romans 10:3 Paul warned about those who were bent on perverting Christ's gospel of grace for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. <clears throat> therefore where therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears, and now brethren I commend you to God to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified Acts 20 verse 29 through 32 you know I think I just noticed something I think my life improved dramatically when I really started believing what was just said there thank you God Notice that Paul commanded the church to quote God and the word of his grace, and the quote. It is the word of grace that the Judaizers would try to corrupt. And that would be people like trying to make you worship and do something on a quote unquote Sunday or Saturday. All that other kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. That's right. The corrupt gospel is salvation by works which was eventually given life in the Roman church. Paul repeats the point more directly in his letter to the Galatians. The Jewish Gnostics argued that obedience to the law was necessary for salvation. Paul, on the other hand, states emphatically, that works of the law will not justify a person. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Galatians 2.16 Justification is by God's grace through faith alone. Quote, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. And you know we will. Ephesians 2, 8-9 For more detailed information on salvation by grace of God alone, read the anti-gospel perversion of Christ's grace gospel. Philip Schaff, in History of the Christian Church, explains how the false doctrine of salvation by works was founded upon Gnostic philosophy that found its way out of Alexandria. The Alexandrian fathers furnished a uh, theoretical basis for this asceticism in distinction of a lower and higher morality which corresponds to the Platonic or the Phrygian, the, uh, the, excuse me, the, Pagathe- the Pythagorean, Pythagorean, 
Muscimulate. Pythagorean. Why can't I not say it? So the Platonic and the Pythagorean distinction between the life according to nature and the life above nature, or the practical and the contemplative life. Oh, boy. It was previously suggested by Hermes, Hermes about the middle of the second century. Tertullian made a corresponding opposite distinction of moral and venial sins. Here was a source of serious practical errors. Of, yeah, serious uh, practical errors and an encouragement both of moral laxity and ascetic extravagance. The ascetics, the ascetics, and afterwards the monks formed a and claimed to be a moral nobility, a spiritual aristocracy above the common Christian people as the clergy stood in a separate caste of invaluable invaluable dignity above the laity. Invaluable dignity above the laity who were content with the lower grade of virtue. Clement of Alexandria, otherwise remarkable for his elevated ethical views, requires of the sage or Gnostic that he excel in plain Christian, excel the plain Christian not only in higher knowledge, but also by higher emotionless virtue and stoic and stoical superiority, superiority to all the bodily connections, and he inclines to regard the body with Plato as a grave and fetter of the soul. How little he understood the Pauline doctrine of justification by faith may be inferred for a passage in the uh, Stromata where he explains the word of Christ. Quote, Thy faith hath saved thee, and referring not to faith simply, but to the Jews only, who lived according to the law, as if faith was something to be added to the good works, instead of being the source of... Is that a quote? I could have sworn that was a quote. Thy faith has saved thee, oh yes, and quote, referring not to faith simply, but to the Jews only who lived according to the law, as if the faith was something to be added to good works, instead of being the source and principle of a holy life. Origin goes still further and propounds quite distinctly that Catholic doctrine of two kinds of morality and piety, a lower for all Christians and a higher for saints, or the select few. <clears throat> Includes the higher morality works uh, or of super 
supererogation, superiorgation, supererogation, i.e. works not enjoined indeed in the gospel yet recommended as counsels of perfection which were supposed to establish a peculiar merit secure a higher degree of blessedness he who does not does only what is required of all is an unprofitable servant but he who does more performs for example what Paul in 1 Corinthians 7:25 merely recommends concerning the single state or like him resigns his just claims to temporal remuneration of the spiritual services is called a good and faithful servant among these works or reckoned martyrdom of voluntary poverty and voluntary celibacy. And I think I'm getting too tired. I'm slurring everything, aren't I? Uh, and screwing up words. Uh, Barbara Aho in Mystery Babylon the Great, Catholic or Jewish, explains the significance of Shafe's historical account. Here we see that the false doctrine of the so-called Christian Gnostics resembles the salvation by works taught by the Gnostic Jews at the Platonic schools of Alexandria. It is worth noting here that the Gnostic hierarchs were Jews, a fact well known to the true church fathers who were their contemporaries. This huge piece of the puzzle has been missing in the sanitized accounts of the Gnostic disseminated of the Gnostics disseminated by the gentle world, but is readily available in the Jewish encyclopedia. Quote, it is noteworthy fact that the heads of the Gnostic schools and founders of the Gnostic system were designated as Jews by the church fathers. Some derive all heresies, including those of Gnosticism, from Judaism. It must further be noted that Hebrew words and names of God provide the skeleton for several Gnostic systems. This fact proves, at least, that the principal elements of Gnosticism were derived from Jewish speculation. While it does not preclude the possibility of new wine having been poured into old bottles. Edith Miller, and I send that quote, Edith Miller, Lady Greenborough, explains in her classic book, Occult Theocracy and the Attack on the Early Church by Gnostics and how the Gnostic infiltration gave rise to Ersatz Church branches that were polluted with Gnosticism. Yet within a very short time after the death of Christ, Christian ritualism began to appear. The theological system of dogmas and beliefs was devised, modes of worship elaborated, and the hierarchy arose with all its attended evils. However, the Christian faith, under the lash of persecution, had shown the world the power and faith and charity of faith, faith and charity, and against this power of the force of evil have ever been 
uh, unfurled. Blow after blow was dealt to the rising church. Both its beliefs and practices were attacked by those who professed other views and worshipped other gods and who designed all schemes to subvert and pervert Christianity. Henceforth, as it has ever been with all religions, the history of Christianity and of Gnosticism will develop side by side the perversion and destruction of one of the former being the aim of the latter. The tree of Christianity gave forth three main branches, Catholicism of Rome, Greek Catholicism, and in the 16th century Lutheranism. The two former bodies remained homogeneous, but Lutheranism gave birth to innumerable sects, all dissenting from the parent church. Edith Miller concluded that Judaism sanctions Gnosticism, which is further elaborated in their book, Books of the Kabbalah. Gnosticism, the Gnosticism that polluted the Ersatz churches was born of Judaic slash Babylonian occultism. Arrhenius, who died in 2002 AD, identified the Jews as the inventors of the Gnostic philosophy and that threatened to spin the early church into apostasy. Quote, arising among these men, Satraneus, who was of that Antioch which is near Daphne and the Basileids laid hold of some favorable opportunities and promulgated different systems of doctrine, one in Syria and the other in Alexandria. These men, moreover, practiced magic and used images, incarnations, invocations, and every other kind of curious art. They declared that they are no longer Jews and that they are not yet Christians and that it, it is not at all fitting to speak openly of their mysteries but right to keep them secret by preserving silence. Saturnalia. Saturnalia. Arrhenius quite properly points out that the change in Isaiah from virgin to young woman makes no sense. The prophecy in Isaiah is supposed to be a sign from God of the birth of Christ. Matthew explains that Emmanuel means God with us. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And Matthew 1.23 If the passage states that the sign is to be that a young woman is to conceive, it's lost all meaning since that is not a sign. Since young women conceive regularly, the sign must be something unusual in order for it to be a sign, 
the virgin birth of Jesus was that sign as prophesied by Isaiah. The virgin birth of Christ is fundamental to Christianity. If Jesus was merely a man born of natural processes, then his death on the cross could not atone for the sins of others. He could not be the perfect unblemished sacrifice. Hence, Jesus could not be the Savior. This book is in big pages, although it says 200 some pages. It's got to be more like a 400 page book. Jews today argue that the correct rendering of the Hebrew word in the passage should be young woman instead of virgin. They are wrong. The Hebrew word is Alma, and it means virgin. The argument of a Jew of the Jews makes no sense since the Jews reject Jesus as the Messiah they are still looking forward to the birth of the Messiah how can they tell who that Messiah is since it is not a sign to be born of a young woman the passage specifically states that the Lord himself shall give you a sign the virgin birth is the sign that the child born of the virgin is the Messiah it is very simple. If there is no virgin birth, there is no sign. If there is no sign, there is no Messiah. The Jews have painted themselves into a corner. If they maintain their position that the prophecy of Isaiah means that a young woman will give birth, then they have lost the sign for, this, for the coming of the Messiah. Why would they do that? Because their position is really an attack on Christianity. They cannot have Christ being born as a, of, of a virgin. Rather than argue whether Jesus was born of a virgin, they change the passage of the prophecy of the virgin birth, thus making the virgin birth irrelevant. If there is a prophecy of a virgin birth and a New Testament records of virgin birth, that means Jesus is the Messiah. They cannot change the account of the New Testament, so they don't the next best thing. They remove the prophecy of the virgin proof from the Old Testament. <clears throat> Crypto Jews and their Catholic fellow travelers are still pushing this corruption of the Bible today. There are corrupt Bible Bible versions that maintain this Gnostic fiction and corrupt Isaiah 7.14 to remove the virgin birth. Revised Standard Version RVS and New Revised Standard Version NRVS, the New World Translation NWT, the Jerusalem Bible JB, and New Jerusalem Bible NJB. Um, Authorized Version KJB. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14. The new J.B. This was Jerusalem Bible. 
the New Jerusalem Bible. The Lord will give you a sign in any case. <laughs> it is this. The young woman is with child. And will give birth a son whom she will call Emmanuel. In the case of the Holy Bible, it is the New and Old Testament of God Almighty. They are the most important legal documents ever written. God Almighty is the testator. He wrote both testaments. In addition, he created the languages into which his original testaments would be written. He also created the languages into which those testaments would be translated. Genesis 11, 7 through 9, he has supernaturally controlled the process from beginning to end. Quote, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16, of authorized version in addition, he has promised to supernaturally preserve his testaments. Quote, the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. End of quote. First Peter 1.25, authorized version. The heirs of Christ are Christians. Quote, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs of Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Crypto-Jews and Catholics cannot eradicate the word of God because God has promised to preserve it forever. They, therefore, have created a whole population of corrupt Bible versions so that it will be difficult for Christians to figure out what is the true word of God. The pure word of God in the English language is the authorized K, uh, uh, King James Version, AV or KJV, which is the authorized version or the King James Version. The new Bible versions are based upon corrupt transcripts and the translators use a method of translation known as dynamic equivalence rather than the formal equivalence used in authorized version AV, which is also known as the King James Version. Formal equivalence is a word-for-word -word translation, whereas dynamic equivalence is a thought-for-thought -thought translation. A translator using dynamic equivalence is less of a translator and more an interpreter. Thus, the new versions of the Bible should more accurately be called interpretations rather than translations. The, the dynamic equivalent interpreters of the new Bible versions have often made unfounded assumptions as the meaning of the particular passage. Rather, than translate what God wrote. They have, with some frequency, twisted passages 
by injecting their own personal bias. Some of these interpreters have displayed malicious intent and caused great mischief. The subjective bias of the interpreters in the New Bible versions has caused changes in New Version English Bibles that are not supported by any of Greek or Hebrew texts. For example, the dynamic equivalencies caused 6,653 English words changes changes in the New International Version, approximately 4,000 word changes in the New American Standard Bible, of which are supported by the words in any of the... Uh, excuse me. I have to skip the line. Approximately 4,000 word changes in the New American Standard Bible, approximately 2,000 word changes in the New K King James Version, none of which are supported by the words in any of the Greek or Hebrew texts. Those word changes reflect the subjective bias of the interpreters. The combined effect of having a corrupt text and then having the text interrupted, excuse me, interpreted using dynamic equivalence has been that the NIV has 64,096 fewer words than the authorized version. That is a 10% loss of the Bible. That means that the new, or the uh, NIV, the new international version, right, Bible would have 170 fewer pages than the, a typical 1,700-page AV Bible. The new versions of the Bible are materially different. They are the product of the imaginations of the interpreters who have applied their personal prejudices to slant already corrupted texts to comport with their own ideas. They are truly counterfeit Bibles. For more detailed information on the corruption of God's Word in new counterfeit Bibles, read Antichrist Conspiracy Inside the Devil's Lair. The Jewish corruption of Isaiah and the resulting theological view that Jesus was not the Son of God, born of a virgin, was nurtured in the early church by the Jewish sect called the Ebionites. The Ebionites followed the corrupted Theodontian or and Pontus text in support of their argument that Jesus was the son of Joseph. The Ebionites were Jews that accepted Jesus as the Messiah but did not believe him to be God. Irenaeus, Irenaeus stated that the Ebionites had an opinion of the Lord similar to that of the Capo, uh, the Carpo Crats, Crates, the Copper Crats, no, not Crats, I don't know how you pronounce it, the Carpo Crates, of Carpo Crates, and that of, and that the Ebionites practice circumcision 
preserve and obedience of the customs which are adjoined by the law and are so Judaic in their style of life that they even adore Jerusalem as if it were the house of God. Irenaeus explains the doctrines of the followers of Carpo, Carpo Trades. I guess it's uh, Bates Trades, Carpo Trades, Carpo Trades, Carpo Trades, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying it right now, I mean, I'm getting pretty tired now. I'm just reading myself to sleep. I'm keeping, I'm passing time with the hope that it will do somebody some good. Uh, they practice also magical arts and incantations, filters, uh, also, oh, and also, and love potions, and have recourse to familiar spirits, dream-sending demons, and other abominations, declaring that they possess power to rule over even now the princes and formers of the world, and not only them, but also all things that are in it. Other than, of, others of them employ outward marks, branding their disciples inside the lobe of the right ear. From among these also arose a Marxilina, 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 who came to Rome under the Epicospe... Oh, I can eat quit. The Epicopate. Episcopate. Okay, under the Episcopate of Anicetus. Anicetus. Anicetus, I don't know. And holding these doctrines, she led multitudes astray. They styled themselves Gnostics. They also possessed images, and some of them painted, and other forms form, formed from different kinds of material, while they maintained that a likeness of Christ was made by Pilate at the time when Jesus lived among them. They crowned these images and set them up along with images of philosophers of the world, that is to say, with the images of Pythagoras, Plato, and Aristotle, and the rest. They have also other modes of honoring these images after the same manner of the Gentiles. Notice the doctrines that we see described by Irenaeus. And I don't want to, you know what, I just don't want to quit reading this because I know, you know, there's nothing on the internet. There's nothing. Even the one thing that I posted or in the information box of a, there's a couple of you know, recordings earlier today, uh, turns out that the guys had a lot of good information as far as knowing who the Jesuits are, but our New Agers to the core. Gnostics. And one is a flat out itself a professed Gnostic. It's hopeless. It's just 
There's just not too many people out there who are really unbelievers, are they? They possess graven images and even covered these images, or crowned these images. Those are the very things that are practiced within the Roman Catholic Church today. Uh, yeah, they also have money laundering. He says, notice that the doctrines that they received described by Arianus uh, in the 1st and 2nd century of the Ebionites and the followers of Carpocrates, or Crates, Carpocrates, Carpocrates, I don't know, Carpocrates, at the very inception, the Judaizers were creeping into the church with all their Babylonian witchcraft. The Edomites were so Judaic in their style of life that they even adored Jerusalem as it were the house of God. They were in they were in no way Christians. Aranes identified Marcellinia, who brought the Gnostic heresy to Rome and led multitudes to follow those idolatrous practices. They possessed graven images and even crowned their images. Those are the very things that are practiced within the Roman Catholic Church. Irenaeus explained that they have also other modes of honoring these images after the same manner of the Gentiles. Followers of Carpocrates or Carpocrates had such an elevated pride through their esoteric knowledge of magic that some of them declared themselves similar to Jesus. That is exactly what we see in the Roman Catholic Church today and in the New Age and the Unity Church and all the other false religions. They call themselves Christians. So few people, I never, I never even, I don't know if I've ever even seen a Christian church. Well, uh, just this particular chapter is going to be a while. So, are we in chapter three? I know people probably think I'm the craziest dude that ever lived, but you know what? You might be right. Anyways, um, what is a guy in my position to do? Can you tell me? All right. Edward Henry, forward by Tex Mars. So I just read some more out of this book. I don't want to stop, but I'm getting tired. Extremely tired, but they should have stopped now. Ago. Well, it's a good Solving the Mystery of Babylon the Great by Edward Henry.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.